Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's Money-M-O-R-P-H-O-S-I-S.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Welcome. This is Crystal Arnold, your hostess of Money Wise Women and founder of Money Morphosis. It is an incredible time to uh, empower our communities. We see so much uh, need for people to come together because communities have been so impoverished um, through a variety of reasons, including a, uh, an extractive economic system, uh, colonization, and just ways that have kept uh, women and minorities, in particular here in America, uh, financially struggling. And so I am very passionate about uh, the systems of, uh, that can create more vibrant local economies. Because the truth is people want to align their values with their money, and yet so many people don't have accurate information. There's not a lot of transparency in the mainstream financial world to really make these decisions that help um, some of the most vulnerable people in our community and uh, also uh, benefit our environment. And so I have, um, I am part of a credit union myself and feel like credit unions are an incredible way to really keep more of our money here uh, locally in communities. And uh, because they are owned by the, um, the people who use them, it really circulates and, and benefits the people there. And so I was um, very excited to find out about Self-Help Credit Union and uh, found uh, Ebony Perkins there, our guest today, who will tell us more about what makes um, them unique and why this is such a powerful way for people to engage their finances in ways that benefit their communities and the environment. Um, so Ebony Perkins is um, really, she's a dedicated, solution-oriented social entrepreneur whose heartbeat is community. And she has really demonstrated her ability of working with investors and philanthropists and helping them make smart and strategic decisions. She is the Investor and Community Relations Manager at Self-Help Credit Union. And Ebony really helps groups and interest in invest in funds in a mission-aligned financial institution that really supports communities of all kinds, especially those underserved by conventional leaders. And before this role, she served as donor relations manager at Central Carolina Community Foundation, where she managed the system to engage and educate over 400 individuals and groups to help them achieve their charitable goals. Ebony's commitment to investing in the community is evident by her service and contributions to women in philanthropy, um, Durham Center for Senior Life, and uh, the University of North Carolina 
MPA Alumni Board, Association of Black Foundation Executives, Friends of African American Arts and Culture, and Columbia College as a mentor. Um, so Ebony holds a Master of Public Administration from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, as well as a Bachelor of Science in Marketing. And she also has an Executive Certificate in Financial Planning from Duke University. And uh, Ebony is a millennial. She's 30 years old and uh, just uh, really appreciate her, her passion and her enthusiasm for really creating a, a better world for her uh, community today and, and for generations to come. So I'm just so amazed what, what you've already done at such a young age, uh, Ebony, and so excited to have you on the show. I'd love oh, to- thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I'd love to begin by hearing what you find most exciting about the work that you do. Hmm, so, a long time ago, I realized that I had two passions. Um, one was business, and the other was public service. And, but I was always torn how you can combine the two, right? <laughs> and I went to, went to college, uh, went to graduate school, and I still could not figure out how do I merge these two supposedly separate worlds. And then I learned of this space called philanthropy, a term that's often, um, a term that isn't really used much, to be honest with you, and, and not used with the average person. And I learned that really all of us are philanthropists if we give back to our communities in some sort of way, if you provide time, talent, or treasure. And so I started working at a community foundation. And then I learned of this space called impact investing, where you aren't just giving your money away in the form of grants, but you're using your funds to invest in the community. And I just really love that this is a growing field, it's a growing space, and I really get a kick out of my work when I get to share with people that they can do something really, really good with their money and earn a pretty competitive return, and it's like the light bulb goes off. And to me, it's an educational opportunity, but when people realize that they can make a difference in a way that they never once thought before, I get like the highest high off of that, to be honest with you. It's just a really good feeling. Oh, yeah. I, I love that. Just realizing that, um, you know, even the ordinary everyday person, you don't have to be super wealthy to be able to uh, make a difference with your money. And uh, that's really powerful. I'd, I'd love to hear more about your own personal money journey and, and how your uh, childhood influenced your beliefs of money and how that uh, motivates you in the work you do today. So, I think I am naturally, even as a child, I'm naturally a saver. So um, when I was younger, my parents got my brother and I these, they weren't piggy banks, but they they were piggy banks that were shaped in like the form of a crayon, like a three, four foot tall crayon. So we were able to put our little coins in there and I got excited off of that and I loved it. And I just think that's who I am naturally. And so 
to see later um, in, in having these experiences from the women in my life, I grew up very close to my mom and my dad, um, but to my mom and then also I have very close relationships with the older women in my family. So my grandmothers were also very important to me. And the older I got, the more honest and frank they became with me, especially around money and just saying, Ebony, you need to be able to take care of yourself. And you need to be able not only to take care of yourself, but also take care of your family and not only to rely on men. Um, and I remember one time my grandmother, she told me, she said, Ebony, I'm not telling you this to scare you as if like your husband may die or something. But if your husband were to get sick, you would have to hold for it down for a bit. And you need to make sure that you know how to do that. And so I learned um, and, and it just helped that I was a saver already, but they started to really implement those those important lessons for me early on to a point where it's, it's my foundation, really. I kind of all, I, my friends laugh at me when I say this, but, you know, I don't know how everybody else in the world does it, but in the South, <laughs> your parents and your grandparents, they may have what they consider their outdoor freezer, right? And my family, they would buy up various things. You know, we'd have frozen, we had meat in the freezer or different vegetables that they froze in and they placed outside. And you have it in case of emergencies, but also different things that you can pull from, right, in case you need to be able to whip up a meal for your family. And I told my friends, I said, people don't understand why I like the idea of, of working in, in business or finance, but to me, it's like your freezer. It's like the freezer that grandma had outside. I said, yeah, you have everything that you need for the moment in your house and in your refrigerator. But if you ever have to go to that outdoor freezer just in case, and have that backup plan and just something to get you through, you go to that freezer for that. And that's kind of how I view money, and that's how I view financial planning. It's like you have your freezer just in case you need to pull from it, even if you don't have to always, but you have a backup plan just in case. So I don't know. That's kind of helped shape me. Oh, I, I love uh, that metaphor of the freezer that really um, – yeah, so so many uh, people just uh, kind of get by and just uh, feel feel like they aren't empowered to to save, and even a little bit really does add up. I've I've been amazed, uh, you know, just helping people um, when I do workshops with women around uh, what compounding interest is and how how much if they put something on a credit card that'll end up costing them. And, and the flip side, if they start saving even $20 a month when they're uh, teenagers, how, how much that can really uh, add, add up to with compounding interest over the years. Yeah. I agree. I agree 100%. I mean, even my grandmother, she she's passed on now, but I didn't, I never knew that she was doing this. Well, after she passed, um, my grandfather gave me a bag and he said, hey, your grandmother has been putting this aside for you. And I was like, what is this? And she had these small bills <laughs> that I guess she had been doing for years, mm -hmm. just putting aside. 
Mm. And it grew and it, and it grew and it grew. And I was like, what, what is this? I mean, it was, it, it was thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm. And he said, she was serious about that lesson that she told you. You need to really make sure you can take care of yourself. And she wasn't only telling you by the way, she, you know, she spoke, but she wanted to prove it mm. through example. So, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. It grows. It, it makes a difference. Yeah. 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 It sounds like you found a really uh, great place uh, here at Self-Help Credit Union to, uh, you know, empower other people and, and just really uh, share your passion around this. Uh, could you tell listeners a little bit more, you know, um, one about what makes credit unions in general uh, unique and, and including uh, you at, at Self-Help Credit Union? What, what makes this such a powerful community tool for relocalizing our economy? You know, I think credit unions in general hold a special place in my heart because they are specifically designed to help the local community. I think self-help credit union is unique um, because we are, we're part of a family of nonprofit organizations with the same mission of creating and protecting economic opportunity for all. And so at self-help credit union, our specific focus is to target and to support underserved communities. So this may include minorities and people of color, this includes women, this includes rural communities, all of the above, because what we've come to realize is that generational wealth is built through ownership. And a lot of it is, is built through um, home ownership, if we're being really honest. And sometimes when these communities that we serve go to traditional lenders, they are turned down for the opportunity to buy their first home or to start their own business, and ultimately to support their family for generations to come. And so that's our focus at Self-Help. Our focus is to help these communities, the ones that are typically overlooked and underserved, and to help them provide really for their families. I think one of the things that's also really special about Self-Help is that um, we've also focused on other areas that people may not automatically think of that are super important. For instance, a part of our work focuses on um, environmental issues. And we didn't always start there, to be really honest with you. But what we soon realized was that with the growing environmental issues that the world is facing and climate change, our communities, the ones that we served, were facing, well, they were on the front lines, essentially, of everything that was happening. We have communities in eastern North Carolina, Crystal, that although they're on the, they're not far from the coast, maybe a 100 miles inland, they weren't experiencing the damage of hurricanes as they are now, maybe 10 years ago. But now those communities are experiencing hurricane damage every two or so years, and they have to rebuild every time. And so when we realized that this was a bigger issue and it was affecting the communities that we love and that we care about, we decided to take on and provide environmental lending as well. 
as a way to support them. I mean, and also, we also just, we do a lot of work at self-help to try and combat predatory lending as well. Once again, our focus is on these communities. And we soon realized that although we make, make loans to help people purchase their first homes, a lot of the same communities that we were supporting, they were being targeted by predatory lenders, payday loans. And they were receiving loans that were triple-digit loans, to be really honest with you. Mm. And we realized that it was an issue, so we provided an advocacy piece of our work as well. And actually, we're super surprised, or we're super proud because we were able to eradicate predatory lending here in North Carolina. It is now completely illegal, and we are fighting the fight in other states all across the country. We recently had a success story in California where we were able to, to be a part of making a rate cap of 36%. And I know to some folks that may, that's still like really high, but compared to triple-digit rates, we're super proud of what we're doing. So credit unions, I love. I'm a huge fan of because they're local. But self-help is especially important to me because it's it's a well-rounded group that's fighting the fight on many different sides. Mm. Oh, that's so inspiring. And, and it's so um, the opposite of the extractive big banks that charge you more fees if you <laughs> exactly. uh, are poor. So I think uh, it's a it's very powerful um, way to affect change. Um, I, I just recently read this book, Decolonize uh, Wealth by Ed, Edgar Villanueva, Decolonizing yeah. Wealth. Um, and so he spoke so much to, to how the very structures of philanthropy, and he was in the philanthropy field as a Native American man, um, just how um, that kind of uh, white male dominated <clears throat> world is, is uh, so ingrained in the culture there. And I really see that, um, you know, uh, the power of worker-owned structures such as cooperatives and credit unions um, to really empower communities of color in the United States who have been marginalized. And uh, just curious if you have any specific stories um, about how uh, kind of when self-help um, goes into these or is, is supporting these uh, people of color, um, you know, what, what's transforming maybe for them on a personal level or for their communities? Hmm. So let me ask you this question really quickly. So I have multiple stories, thankfully. <laughs> But when you say what's transforming, are you asking about um, stories of impact? Are you asking about um, worker-owned structures in general? I'm sorry, just clarification. Oh, right. That question could go so many directions. Um, <laughs> you know, let's, uh, let's start with maybe uh, at the individuals, you know, when people are getting engaged and, and feeling greater ability to be self-employed or having help with their businesses or getting engaged in, in uh, cooperatives or the credit union, how do you think it affects individuals kind of psychologically? You know, I really believe that 
credit unions are powerful because people are able to take an active interest in the organization and take pride in the fact that they are indeed an owner of it, right? Um, one of the things that, that comes to mind is um, a branch that we have at Self-Help. So we're located in seven states across the country, but we do uh, lending nationwide. And so one of our branches is in Apopka, Florida, and we recently had a grand opening for it. And we had so many people come to that branch and that grand opening because they took pride in the fact that their credit union, something that they own because they are members, has a new building, something that they are proud to walk into every day. And to know that they came and they made remarks about that pride, I mean, it was, mm. it was unimaginable, to be honest with you. Mm. But something that they were proud to share with other generations. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it's such an empowering um, experience, especially for marginalized uh, communities to feel that ownership. Um, what about on on the bigger level of of impact and and uh, what how you see self help credit union um, impacting communities? Well, you know, and I'm going to take a step back too because something else just came to my mind. Um, there's a saying that don't change or don't improve my community without me, mm. but do it with me. And that's one thing that I, I feel self-help really embodies. Our members have a say. Our members are living in the communities that we serve, and they know what type of products they need. They know what their community needs in order to thrive and to flourish. And we've had events where we go and we ask for feedback. And we ask for what exactly the community needs as a whole. And many of those members don't hold back. <laughs> they tell us what they need and we begin to try and create and provide products to match the needs of those communities based on the feedback that we received with them instead of for them. And it really starts to shape the community as a whole. Now, on a larger level, um, the type of impact that, that we make, I mean, it's easy for me to sit up here and throw numbers around. I mean, yeah, we've done $8.5 in in lending, or we've... We've done 150,000 loans over the course of 40 years, but to me, that's not where the difference really comes from. I recently heard about a woman in her mid to late 50s, maybe early 60s, who was able to buy her first home. And she did it through self-help. And she was so proud. And she actually even, even told her family, she walked through those doors, and she said, guess what, guys? Christmas is at my house this year. I look forward to having that Christmas tree right there in the corner. And everyone should plan to be here on Christmas Eve because that's when we're opening our gifts. I think that's 
that's impact to me. Mm. That's the type of of difference that we want to make. It's about building a life for people. And that's what I'm super, super proud to be a part of, really changing the lives that our members have. Mm. I love what you highlight there, that impact is so much more than what we can even measure. And we've been so fixated on the quantitative numbers of uh, economics and, and measuring that as success. And, you know, recently Jacinda Ardern, uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand, has gotten more attention for her well-being uh, economy and saying we're only going to spend money on things that improve the well-being of people. And it sounds like really that, uh, and of course, there's been the triple bottom line here as well for people. And it sounds like that's really your focus as, as self-help is, is improving the quality and well-being of people's lives. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think there's more, a lot of times people focus on the amount of money, right? But it's really what you do with the money mm -hmm. that builds and so, yes, that's our focus. Nice. And tell me more about your uh, CDs, Certificates of Deposits, and, and I think that is a really unique way that people can direct uh, their funds through you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, at Self-Help, we really consider our strength to be a financial institution for your cash reserves or for your savings. And one of the ways that you can do that is through our certificates of deposit. We offer extremely competitive rates. And you can also find a way to target um, the areas that you want to make a difference in. So for instance, we have two thematic CDs. Our first one is a women and children CD that allows um, our members to invest in women-headed households or women-owned businesses. Um, or really, we also offer a lot of support because many of the members in our, many of our um, communities, they want to own and operate daycare centers to support um, young children and to help families who need to go off and work in order to provide for their, their children. Um, and so a lot of those dollars go to support women and children in the communities that we serve. We also have an environmental CD. And that CD allows you to invest in environmental um, and green businesses, green projects, and really target your, your funds toward the causes that really matter to you. So those are two of the, the CDs that can really help you focus um, your giving or your investments on the causes that matter to you. Yeah, so many people don't realize how a bank or credit union can leverage the deposits and make, you know, multiple times the loans. Exactly. Yeah, so I just a lot of people don't don't realize, I mean, credit unions but banks as well. I mean, we use those deposits in order to to make a difference. I think sometimes we assume just based off of the number that's on the screen that those dollars are kept in this specific right. place <laughs> right. for you and just you, but that's not always the case. I mean, credit unions and other financial institutions, we use those dollars in order to make the loans. 
And I often say, Crystal, are you comfortable where your money sleeps? Mm-hmm. Is the money that you have placed or do those dollars make the difference that you want it to make? Mm-hmm. Are those dollars supporting the communities that you want to support? Are they making loans to those communities? Or better yet, are they making loans to your community? Mm-hmm. You find that that's not the case, reevaluate it. Yeah. Yeah. So such a powerful step that listeners can take right now is switching your money from a big bank to a credit union or at least a locally owned bank that, um, you know, even a small amount of deposits because of fractional reserve banking really can um, multiply out into the community. So that's kind of a hidden superpower that the ordinary person has (laughs) is (laughs) where does your money sleep at night? (laughs) I love that. Yep. Are you comfortable with that? I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Gosh. So I'm, I'm curious if you want to talk about either opportunities or challenges that you see uh, for creating a more just and equitable economy. And that's a big question and feel free to take it in whatever direction you'd like. Yeah, it's, it's a huge question. Um, I think 2016 was a year. Um, It it was a tough year politically, but at the same time, I think people woke up and they started to realize that um, they can't coast anymore politically and that there are some other issues that we're facing in this country. And I really, really believe that um, Although this administration is a challenge for creating a more just and equitable economy, I think that it really woke up some people who are really starting to create organizations and use technology to empower our communities. I think um, there is a growing number of financially sound organizations, or not organizations, but nonprofits, and actually businesses that are created that are supporting um, the same communities that self-help is. And, hmm. Crystal, let me think about that one because I feel like I'm talking in circles. I'm talking in circles. Oh, sure. That's fine. It was a, it was a big, big question. Um, let's talk a little more specifically I about... I might be able to come back to it. Just sure. Me. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. If something pops up at any time, we can... Uh, we can feel free to jump in with it. Um, so let's talk about talking about money because we both know it's so taboo and especially for women, um, a lot of people can feel um, embarrassed or kind of ashamed, um, you know, that they don't know more financially. Um, and so just curious your thoughts, um, maybe any experiences you had about why it's so important and empowering to have more open, transparent conversations about money, you know, both uh, personally in our families and and then also uh, greater transparency and engagement in our communities. So what are your thoughts about the power of talking about money more openly?
I was a very empathetic child. <laughs> and when I say that, what I mean is that um, although my family was, I'd say, middle class, um, I was aware of the struggles that other families had. And to be honest, I felt bad about it. And I did not, I soon realized in either the form of money or um, or anything really, that it was it was a taboo subject. You didn't want to to make people feel bad, and that also came in the form of the house that you lived in or, or whatever it may be. And so, to be honest with you, even though it was a weird combination, even though I was proud and loved my family, I also didn't want anyone else to feel bad if they had less than. And so I kind of kept those things separate. There was somewhat of a shame and, and a guilt that I I was fortunate, but other people weren't. And I learned that if I were to talk about money or anything that was associated with status or whatever it may be, that it made other people feel bad. So I didn't do it. It I became very quiet about it. And one of the things that I realized later in life was that my approach <laughs> was to acclimate and to to really just become a part of the mix. Don't stand out, and that's how you survived. And so I just continued to brush certain topics under the rug because I didn't want other people to feel bad. And I took that that belief on for a long time. And then I recently realized that that's not the way to go. And when you brush certain things on brush certain things under the rug or or bury your head in the sand that it doesn't help anyone, especially when it comes to money. And what I've realized, Crystal, is that money is connected to everything like every single thing and no money does not bring you happiness but unfortunately it's connected to the things that matter and the things that do bring you happiness such as your ability to live in a safe neighborhood access to healthy foods or your medication or the time that you're able to spend with your family because you may not have to work certain hours and so once I realized that burying it under the rug wasn't the best way to do it, I was able to open up and have um, direct conversations with, with people, whether that's my family, whether it's friends, whether it's members of our credit union or other community members, um, really having these open and honest conversations because burying your head in the sand will not get you anywhere. And that's the way that you can not build a well-rounded life. And to me, well-rounded life is a definition of wealth. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm so um, interested in redefining wealth to really include more than just money and help people see that it is our relationships, our inner wealth, our spiritual connection and, and also our environment. And uh and I think there's more 
um, yeah, people, especially the younger generations are, are seem to be waking up to, it's not just about making money, you know, it's, it's a quality of life and, and really looking carefully is, you know, is the student loan, uh, for this education really worth it? So yeah, curious your thoughts about how, uh, you know, the millennials and younger generations are, are kind of re redefining wealth. You know, I think you have a combination of of things. Um, One thing that I really appreciated about the friends that I surround myself with um, is that our generation is really learning early on that there's more to life than just the dollar. Um, We are the ones that have entered the workforce and are expecting work-life balance and that that can be a deal-breaker when it comes to the type of organization we work with. Um, I've also noticed that a lot of the folks in my generation have a philanthropic core of who they are. I have a friend who, um, he's actually done very well in his career. And he's maybe two years older than I am. But he said, Ebony, I want to do something with it. Like, what can I do with it? How can I give back to the community that I grew up in? And I was like, wow, that is powerful. I love that we aren't waiting until, you know, we're in our 60s or our 70s to give back because usually that's that's how it works. You get to a space when you're in your 70s where you can actually give back. But we're trying to find unique ways to do it now. And I am totally down for my generation because of that. And it, it speaks volume. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh, let's, you know, let's imagine that in a decade from now or so that uh, more and more people are using credit unions, self-help credit union has expanded and is flourishing. More and more people have taken their money out of the big banks and, uh, and there's no more predatory uh, lending. Um, help, help me uh, imagine what, what kind of world, what kind of culture are we building? What, what do you hope to see in the future coming out of our work? You know what I really believe? I believe, Crystal, that some of the smartest people in this world are those we often overlook. And those may be people of color, low-income, women, rural communities, whatever, however you choose to define that. That's how I'm defining it today. But one thing that I know is that these communities, they are super strong, and they have for generations been making a dollar out of 15 cents. They've always done that. And I genuinely believe that when we invest in these communities, we are putting um, dollars in the hands of people who can turn it and can make the world of a difference for themselves and for everyone else. These folks, they're smart. They are smarter than we give them credit for. And once we realize that as a country and as a world, and we give them the full rights and 
um, ability to make decisions with loans or with any type of funds, make those decisions for themselves, I think we'll have a smarter and a better society as a whole. I really do. Mm, yes. Right. So many of these communities are so resilient. They've had to respond to personal hardship, uh, many to uh, being especially vulnerable to climate change and uh, often put, put extra pollution in there. I mean, the water in Flint, Michigan, the list goes on and on as to how these marginalized communities have been extracted from and and pushed down. And so I, I agree there is a spirit of resilience and, and community strength that, uh, that really, um, with the right structures, like credit unions, can really allow these people to flourish. Right. Correct. Hmm. Yeah. <sighs> what else would you like to tell us about, uh, about your work, about the credit union? You know, one thing that I would like to just point out in general, um, I think a lot of times we automatically assume that in order to make a difference, um, it has to be big. And it doesn't. It doesn't have, you don't have to go, go big and invest in um, whatever stock or whatever bond that you want to invest in, sometimes the first thing that you can do with your money in order to make a difference is just looking where you bank, specifically just where you keep your cash. And I want to make sure that I'm careful when I say this because this isn't just about self-help. This is about community development and financial institutions across this country. There are thousands of community banks. There are thousands of community financial institutions that are doing a lot of the same great work that we are at Self-Help. And I just really encourage folks to check in that, check out, check and see what options are available to you locally, because that's where it all begins. I think it's one tiny step. And from that step, you, you're a little more comfortable in doing more and more. So just want to make sure that it's folks realize that it's not just self-help here, but it's also your local institution. That's where you can start to make a difference. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for highlighting that. And uh, it, it does remind me, I'd like to share the website, which is self-help.org. And you can find out about the credit union there. Um, yeah, there is so much, uh, uprising from people really looking at uh, revolution, uh, revolutionizing our, our banking, our uh, ways that we get to exchange with each other, and, and ultimately, you know, shifting our culture into being more empowered, engaged, and, and not just consumers, but also active citizens and uh, owners who get to vote and have a say in their uh, institutions. And uh, it's really exciting, isn't it? It's totally exciting. But I think I think we focused a lot on individuals, and it just it reminded me a lot of times we often forget about the organizations that we're a part of, right? And so whether that is a faith-based organization that you attend every week, 
whether it's a church or a synagogue or a mosque or or whatever it may be, or your homeowners association, or a nonprofit that you're a part of the board of, um, we are connected to various organizations across this country. And a lot of times those organizations, they have large pots of, of funds that they invest as well and that they place with financial institutions you can encourage them to reconsider where they're banking and reconsider what type of investments they make because large dollars, they make a difference. And a lot of times if we can use our voices in those organizations and we can pull those funds and come together as one, that too can make a huge difference. So true. It, uh, just this past weekend, I saw that the Harvard and Yale students disrupted a football game for yeah, uh, fossil fuel, <laughs> saying divest from the fossil fuels. We need that level of systemic change. It's yep. gone way too long. <laughs> that was exciting to see. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, it's true, the institutional level of, of investment and philanthropy uh, really needs to be, um, uh, have some pressure put on those institutions. Um, I'm curious who else is inspiring you, like whether it's organizations, podcasts, or books that you're reading along these ideas? Oh, so I recently purchased this book that I started reading, maybe a week or two ago, and it's by David Brooks, and it's The Second Mountain. Hmm. And essentially, um, and I'm not too far into it yet, but essentially David Brooks is explaining that oftentimes in life, especially when, when we first um, enter, quote unquote, the real world, <laughs> we focus on achieving what society deems as the metrics of success. So that includes uh, money and status, titles, all of that fun stuff. And we focus on achieving that. And once we get to a place where we feel like we should have or we've gotten it all, we look around and we're like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. There has to be more to this life than just this. And that's when you decide to climb, quote unquote, the second mountain. Hmm. And that second mountain um, is more about the quality of life that you have and your commitment to whether that be your vocation or a cause or a family or a community. It's, in my opinion, that that why piece, mm -hmm. difference, that, that difference you're trying to make. And he really spoke about community, and it's something that I'm really sitting with, and I've been sitting with for the last uh, few months. And so I think this book will help me explore that a little more. Mm. Would you like to say anything more about your why and what motivates you uh, to do this work? <laughs> yeah, I think it's all connected to that inner empathetic child, to be honest with you. Um, there's a part of me that I really believe that we are all a part of community, but 
Um, somewhere along the way, we've learned to only focus on self. And I realized that once I opened my eyes and not only focused on myself, that there are many people out here who are part of our community who are also suffering. And you are only as strong as those around you. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that I've been placed in this world to just take. Mm-hmm. There's, I'm a, I am an empathetic giver. <laughs> and I don't want to wake up one day and wonder, did I ever even serve my purpose? Mm-hmm. Did I make a difference with the time that I had here? So, yeah, if you can help other people build that quality life or, as I said before, that well-rounded life, yeah, I'm all for that. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I I really feel um, a similar um, just just how, as humans, that we want to feel that belonging and uh, feel like we're making a meaningful contribution. And uh, too often our, our modern economic system kind of makes us faceless consumers who are replaceable cogs in a machine, it feels like. And that leads to so much despair for so many people. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think there's more to this thing called life than just grind all the time. And Yeah. And it's, it's, I'm realizing that community is important. And I just, I think we all play a role. And to be really honest, when I saw the offers and needs market um, on the Post Growth Institute, it kind of reminded me of all of that. And mm. I said, hey, community is important, and we all have something that we can contribute. And not only that, we all have something that we could benefit from. Mm. And if we can find a way to, to do that for everybody, I think we'd be a better, more solid society. Hmm. Yeah, it's been amazing, uh, you know, uh, running this live in person process called the offers and needs market over the last few years, and seeing this generosity, people are sitting face to face like, oh, you know, it's so different than Craigslist or something online. It's really like connecting as humans. And sometimes we have, uh, you know, we had a homeless mom at the last one sitting at the table with like a wealthy philanthropist who had contributed to us, but they were coming together as humans. They both had offers and needs. And I feel like it really is part of decentralizing the the charity model and uh, and just bringing people together and and also making visible how incredibly wealthy we are right here in our communities. Right. People have right. so many skills and stuff that they just want to share. Absolutely, and I think too what I appreciate about what you're doing is that you are putting people in front of others that they never would have interacted with otherwise. Yeah. And we can learn so much, so much from people that we don't know or that we think we may have nothing in common with. So I, I really um, want to give kudos to you. I appreciate what you're doing. That's awesome. 
Oh, thanks, Ebony. Um, yeah, something came, when we uh, trained some people in Zimbabwe to do it with a youth group there, and they were surprised to find how it broke down the gender barriers. You know, the young men were seeing, oh, these women do really know something about, you know. Right. So all these assumptions <laughs> we have about people because of their age, race, you know, gender, yeah. um, are, are kind of broken down through the process. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. Awesome. Well, so curious too if you have um, kind of uh, any key messages for people who may be listening, who uh, are inspired by what you shared, and and want to see a more just and equitable economy. Um, what what key message would you like to share with people? You know, I know that money um, can sometimes be a very intimidating subject. But what I encourage folks to do is take it one step at a time. Step one, just figure out what you have. And I'm not talking dollar amounts, but just check out your 401k. See what type of bank accounts you may have or any other types of investments. Just see where you're currently, where you currently are. And once you have an idea of where you are currently standing financially, then you can start to begin to tailor your investment strategy and your financial strategy to a more um, values-aligned place. So my first step is, I'm not saying do anything. Just see what you have. Just put it all on the table in front of you. Hmm. Then you can decide where to go from there. Love that. Right. It's just the little things of just looking what is and doing some assessment of, of your situation and, um, and speaking more openly, maybe, you know, asking help from a, a professional or someone at your uh, bank or credit union or, um, you know, because as we heard from you today, there are ways to align your money with your values, like your CD programs that people may have never even considered how their money could be multiplied out and really support others. So, And, and Crystal, I think you make a very valid point, um, something that I was going to hit on, but I'm glad you yeah. brought it back. Talk to a professional. Professionals, um, you know, if you have those means... And you can talk to a professional um, planner or advisor. And sometimes you may have to ask them about, hey, I really want to do something good with my money. Can you tell me what type of impact investing um, opportunities are out there? Can you tell me what socially responsible investments are out there? Sometimes you, they may not think about it unless you tell them that this is a, a real value of yours. And it's something that's important to you because you want to make a difference with what you have. So take it to them and then let them know that this is what you want to do. And as their client, they should oblige. Mm -hmm. And I do want to keep in mind and, and point out to folks, a lot of times people automatically assume that they will have to give up return in order to do something good and to make a difference with their money. And that is not the case. You can still 
do really, really good with your investments mm. just through the lens of impact investing. So if that's something that you believe, throw that away. Throw that mindset away. You can still do well by doing good. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You can still do well by doing good. Wow. I am so inspired uh, by you, how you've really um, had the courage to go into this field, you know, that that is frankly dominated uh, in large part finance and philanthropy by older white men. And I really applaud you as a millennial black woman uh, to have the tenacity to uh, speak into these spaces, to participate, to look at the whole and the good of the community and really how your, uh, your precious life can be of service to um, those communities which you care so much about. So Thank you for sharing your inspiration today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. I enjoy the conversation. Hmm. Wonderful. So again, for listeners who'd like to hear more about uh, Ebony's work, you can find it at self-help.org. And that's the self-help credit union. And um, so, yes, inspire uh, it or I'd like to suggest that people consider uh, um, switching your money over to a credit union and looking into that possibility for how to align your values with your financial decisions. And, uh, and for all of us to have the courage to have more open, transparent money conversations and, and to look honestly at what our situation is and how we can do good with what we have. So thank you so much, Ebony. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve. With the coronavirus pandemic, we are seeing uh, a lot of marginalized communities hardest hit, um, both health-wise and and also financially. And I'm curious um, how things have changed over the last couple months here with you at Self Help uh, Credit Union, uh, given the situation with the pandemic. What's what's changed in your work? Well, Crystal, it feels like we're in a different world, to be honest with you. Um, so I'm now working from home, and I just wrapped up week seven of working from home. But the workload hasn't stopped. To be honest, it's picked up. Um, and I say my workload has tripled. One thing that's at self-help that we're doing that I'm so excited about is that we have become a, and we are a SBA lender. 
which means that we are providing the PPP or the Paycheck Protection Program loans to small businesses. So this is the, the program that was approved through the CARES Act that Congress um, approved. And the thing is, at Self-Help, we are doing what we have always done through this program. We are placing an emphasis and a focus on women-owned businesses and minority-led businesses. And not only that, but we're focusing on nonprofits. The thing with this Paycheck Protection Program is a lot of the small businesses haven't been um, given as much of a fair chance as larger businesses because they may not need as large of a loan to make it to um, or to provide payroll for their, their employees for two months. So they may not get as much attention as a larger institution, but that's where we come in, right? So at Self-Help, we have provided literally 10 times the amount of small business loans in the last two months than we did all of 2019. And it's been a huge emphasis placed on women-owned businesses and minority-led businesses who are really trying to make it. And so we're super proud of that. We are incredibly proud of our work and our turnaround. And I'll be honest, Crystal, it has it's been so rewarding, so rewarding when we finally are able to share with you know this small woman-owned business that, hey, we've been approved. You are going to receive two months of pay that you can provide to your employees. And when we share that news and then we hear those tears of joy, it's like, okay, wow. We really see the impact that we're making directly. And that has been the most rewarding experience that I've had. It really has changed my life. Mm. Oh, I just can imagine and feel the the relief of these people who um, are, are already living without much financial savings or buffer and and without their uh, businesses open um, it, it's I imagine it's just so stressful and and challenging for these people and uh, yeah so you're p- providing these loans um, and do you have like um, examples or, or a story about uh, how this, how you are able to support and help people. One of the ones that first come to mind is a small business in South Carolina, small town, South Carolina, Orangeburg, South Carolina, where there is a woman owned business, um, a woman who specializes in event decor. And she's also a florist. She has two different event spaces that she owns um, and rents out. And that's her livelihood. She's been very successful in that space. However, as you may know, the event industry has been hit the hardest. No one's having weddings anymore. No one's having graduations. No one's having baby showers. And that was her livelihood. She created the social gatherings that we all enjoy. And it's like her life came to a halt. And she couldn't, she couldn't go any further but she still had bills to pay. She still had to pay her mortgage. She still had to pay her employees. She also still had to pay her utilities. It's not like it doesn't stop. And so we were able to work with her and get her to a place where she can apply for SBA loan. And she was successful. And so she now has the funds in order to make it another two months. 
One thing that I didn't mention before is that if the funds are used mostly for payroll, this can be a forgivable loan. It can be completely forgiven and she may not have to pay this money back. And even if it's not forgiven, there's a 1% interest on it. But the majority of all the loans that we make, they probably will be forgiven because of the guidelines that SBA has made. So these are just some of the, that's just one example. I mean, there are plenty others. There are nonprofits that we've been able to fund um, who still need to be able to provide services. Nonprofits who are feeding children because they aren't able to get to go to school and get lunch. They still have to be able to pay their employees. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that story. Um, I'd love to hear like why you feel credit unions are even more important now, given this um, pandemic and, and the resulting financial crisis that's happening. Um, you know, I, I did some research and in the financial crisis of 2008, U.S. credit unions emerged, you know, even stronger. A lot of people moved their money mm-hmm. um, in 2011. And uh, we just saw a big um, kind of growth in, in the credit union arena. And mm-hmm. uh, curious why that's important now and, and why people should consider moving their money to a credit union. You know what? Credit unions are the heart of community, right? They are directly in our communities. And not only that, credit unions aren't shareholder driven. Um, It's not necessarily always profit driven. And I think that's a key component of investing in in a credit union. Credit unions are member owned. (laughs) So if you are, or at least self-help is, if you are um, a member, you have a say in how in the in the choices we make because you're a part owner of our work and not to be not to mention you know crystal a lot of the smaller banks and a lot of the credit unions have been more successful in being able to get um, support for the small businesses that are impacted right now by COVID-19 you know, a lot of the larger banks, I remember hearing recently that one bank in particular, National Bank, has 600,000 PPP loan requests. They can't possibly get to all of those people. However, the small banks have been able to work directly with their customers. And because they had a smaller load, they've been able to get it into the SBA and have been more successful in getting folks the the information they need in order to to support their employees. Smaller banks are really the, and smaller credit unions are really the MVP right now because we're out here, we're really in the communities that we're serving, we know what they need and we're working hard, working with our members hard in order to really get them the services they need. Yeah. And, you know, the money multiplier that then these these businesses are paying local people and uh, just circulating the value in their communities.
such a challenging time for so many people. Um, there's a lot of emotions coming up for people feeling distressed, anxious, um, depressed, you know, uh, very financially strapped and, and not sure how they're going to make life work in, in the long run. And none of us know how, how long the situation will last. Um, but I am curious what you see as a potential positive that could come out of this, uh, not to downplay the incredible challenge that we're going through, but but what is being revealed about our our economy and our, our society um, and, and how could we make different choices moving forward? You know, Crystal, I read an article yesterday that was somewhat encouraging to me. Um, and it was that we have reached, or I think we've reached one of the highest levels of savings um, in our country than that we've ever reached. So people are saving more now cash <laughs> than they have before. And although the reason for that saving is, is not encouraging, I am inspired that people are really starting to plan. They are becoming more aware of their finances and they are taking steps to protect themselves and their families. You know, at one point, many people would probably just spend money, <laughs> um, some frivolously, but it gives me hope that people are becoming aware and cautious and are intentional with their finances now, and they are saving more. You know, a lot of times, even before this hit, you know, the majority of our of our country did not have a sufficient savings account. They weren't able to make it, you know, those three to six months if something were to happen, unfortunately, and something has. But I'm hopeful that this is a wake-up call and people are beginning to to take the steps in order to build that savings so they can care for themselves and their families. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing to see the, um, the changes in our behavior, um, even though uncomfortable and, uh, and challenging in a lot of ways that we have seen carbon emissions go down dramatically. Uh, you know, we really are, are seeing, uh, we have seen a drop in consumer spending, the biggest in history, I think they're saying, um, and so, yeah, I, I do feel like we, we may come into more uh, right, right alignment with what we're spending, not only personally, but, but as a society, what are our priorities? I'm in no way saying that the, the financial difficulties that people face are their own fault or is their own fault. That, I don't believe that at all. Um, I am, I recognize that there are many people in this country who are underpaid and it's hard for them to even meet their family's needs off of those, off of what they're paid. But I do want to find some, some hope and some light in, in the fact that people are beginning to save. So I just want to make that clear. Like I'm not blaming anyone because there is a huge gap between the haves and have nots in our country. But at the same time, I, I'm, I want to highlight it's a positive. 
Yes. Yeah. And, and how incredibly resilient and resourceful people who have been um, financially disadvantaged by a system that uh, has great wealth inequality are. And uh, just acknowledging that as well. You know, we've seen a huge rise in mutual aid networks where people are getting to know their neighbors, helping elderly people, really connecting in a new way. Um, we're also seeing worker strikes uh, happening, you know, for people who are not having adequate personal protection and, and being forced to work in unsafe conditions. And so I, I too, really share your, um, yeah, concern about the people who have been systemically oppressed uh, financially for a long time now. So I've been reading that um, the African-American communities are uh, being especially hit hard by this coronavirus. And I was wondering uh, what you would like to say about uh, that kind of racial and economic disparity and what it's showing us about our health system. You know, Crystal, I years ago, there's there's a common saying um, in the black community that when America gets a cold, Black America catches the flu. And when that, essentially what that, that saying um, is conveying is that usually Black America and low-income America is hit the hardest when something happens. And that has been proven time and time again, and it's especially evident today. And I had someone from my work at Self-Help, they sent out a, a graphic, um, a picture that explains why Black people are being affected more by coronavirus um, and why we're dying more. And it's, a, it's so many various reasons. Um, and there's not one, one thing you can pinpoint, but there are multiple things like education disparities or a high poverty rate or housing discrimination and a lack the access of health care or barriers to employment. And I mean, and then also mass incarceration. Uh, most black or a lot of black communities are in urban areas where it's densely populated. And because of that, we have been subjected to a lot of the harsh realities of coronavirus. And I mean, I can even speak personally. I've had, I have family members who have been impacted and affected. I've had family members that have died because of coronavirus and it's hard. It's discouraging to be honest. And it's something that we have to figure out how to change. And we don't have any answers right now. We're doing all we can. Um, and in self-help, we've taken an active role to try and get people um, what they need financially in order to continue to support themselves and their families. But we we know that this, to be honest, we got the flu. <laughs> we have the flu. And it's it's something hard to to deal with. 
Oh, I really feel for you. Um, yeah, condolences on on your loss and just that grief, that that real deep grief that so many are feeling, you know, for personal loss and and then collectively and and seeing our communities and uh, be be uh, really challenged and and disproportionately. Uh, challenged. I think it's really revealing a lot about the existing inequalities financially and and as far as access to healthcare goes in this country. And it's really painful and uh, sad to see. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, um, my thoughts and my prayers are with all of America. I know that people are being impacted all over and it's not, it hasn't been an easy start to our 2020. But I do encourage people to help each other any way they can. And I think one of the easiest ways to help others is being cautious and mindful where you bank and where you have your cash reserves or your savings. Um, Support credit unions. Credit unions are really in the communities right now and they are really helping um, mom and pops and mom and pop shops or, or the average Joe and they need your support. We need your support. So if there's anything that you can do, any cash or savings that you may have, consider placing it with a credit union because we need your support in order to make a difference. Hmm. Thank you, Ebony, for all you are doing, working extra here to really get the money to the people who need it most. I really appreciate that.